You're listening to the Google Ads Podcast, brought to you by Solutions Aid, the Google Ads agency. Shot a video recently on how to not fight fair, the five outsized advantages, and actually got a better response on it than I was expecting, which is good news. So I wanted to dive into my favorite unfair advantage, which is reading. I think reading is the most important skill habit you can cultivate. As you can tell from the annoying virtue signaling background that I have in my videos, I read a lot. Believe it or not, this is not the room in the house that has the most books. I've developed a protocol for my reading that I'm actually really proud of. I'm gonna walk you through my system. You don't have to use my system if you don't want to, but this is gonna help you with retention Attention, maybe most importantly, but also honestly just kind of makes, I think, reading more enjoyable. Feel free to customize this however it is you see fit. The first and most important thing, and this was actually, I was indoctrinated by a friend on this level, is start is, is you need to use a pencil. So go by yourself. I've got these real fancy mechanical pencils because I just like nice writing utensils. It makes me enjoy the process more. Go get yourself some nice pencils because you're going to start writing in your books. And I realized in the very beginning that this feels sacrilegious. Don't write your antique first editions, obviously. But I've had to change my mind on this. I used to feel like writing in a book was disrespectful. Now I've decided that it's me communing with the book and I'm having a conversation with the author. So just change what it means. You're not defacing it. Um... And, and uh, what's really important about being able to write in the book is this is how you can let yourself just enjoy the book. Because for so long, what I would do is I would be reading and then if I needed to take a note or look up a word or if I had an idea then I'd have to go to my journal and it was this constant back and forth. And every time I would take my eyes off the page, it would stop the flow. It would decrease my reading time by multiples. So never stop reading. Give yourself the opportunity and you're just sitting there and you've got your book. Nice plug for Brandon Turner's Multifamily Millionaire. And you've got your pencil. And I, I actually kind of generally like to follow along with my pencil because I read a little bit on speed reading, which also really helps, by the way. But if there's anything that's notable, interesting, thought-provoking, I underline it. And I've got a key for myself, and you'll want to develop your own key, but I put little symbols in the margins. So if there's a word that I don't know or that I really like the usage of. So a lot of being articulate isn't necessarily knowing all the big fancy $12 words. It's knowing how to use normal words in unique ways. And so if I ever see an author use words in ways that I'm like, oh, wow, that's that's brilliant, then I'll circle the word. So if I don't know the word or if I just like the word uses, I'll circle the word. And then in the margins, I put a V. And the V is for the vocabulary. And then I leave it and I continue to read. So now I don't have to stop and write it down or take notes. I just have it and we'll get to how we're going to go and use this in a minute. V is for vocabulary. Now, if there's a concept on the page or a person or a reference that I want to research and learn more about, somebody mentions the Magna Carta and I'm like, you know what? I don't really know much about the Magna Carta. Then I'll underline that. And then in the margins, I'll put a question mark and I'll circle the question mark. And the question mark lets me know we're going to go research this later. And what's nice is this satiates my bloodlust for information because for so long, I was like, oh crap, I got to go learn everything about the Magna Carta. And I swear to God, this is true. I would be reading a book and then the book would reference something I didn't know about. And then I'd go read three books about that thing before I could come back to the book that I was reading, which is just a horrible way to live your life. So unless you find yourself in a position where the foundational knowledge necessary to understand the book you're reading um, is a prerequisite, leave it for a moment. Just put the little question mark. You know, hey, I'm curious about this thing. And then the third symbol that I use is a star. 
And I use a star for notable passages. There's a quote or a passage that I want to save for later, something that I really liked, that I felt was really impactful, that I want to remember. Upon rereading, I really want to highlight, then I put a star next to it. And y'all, I'm as aggressive as I want to be, and sometimes it depends on my mood. When I read Brene Brown's Daring Greatly, there were whole chapters that were just underlined. That's okay, because we're going to talk about what we're going to do with this stuff in just a moment. So as you're reading, you follow along with your pencil, and you're using, and by the way, come up with your own key. If you're a content creator and you come across something, you're like, oh, man, I should shoot a video on that, or I should write a thread on that, or a carousel, or whatever. See, content, bam, move on. But give yourself the ability to stay in flow. And what I like about this, what's cool is, it, it makes your first reading leisurely. You're giving yourself permission to just read to read, just for the sake of reading, which is so helpful. So there's not that desperation of like, oh, I need to drink every last ounce of value from this book. When you're done with the book, your second reading, what I like to do is I go back through the book, but I only pay attention to the notables. And so I get done with the book and I basically turn right back around. And then in my journal, I've got a Google Doc that I keep all my notable vocabulary. And I'll look at that every now and again. If I just find myself with time in line at the grocery store, I pull up my vocab doc and I start looking at some of the words that I like. And there's just something about that that appeals to me. You don't have to do that, but whatever it is for you. And then anything that I want to look up, I'll look up and I'll play the research game. And then any notable passages, and this is maybe where I go a little overboard, but I actually write those down in my journal, which means I'm affected rewriting the book but I'm only rewriting the parts that were notable for me and what's cool about that is if I ever want to go back to that book I don't necessarily have to return to the book as much as I return to my journal and I can I get all the distilled value from that book from my journal now I'd caution against relying on that too much because as you grow you get different things from every book you know there's the old proverb that nobody steps in the same river twice because the person is different and so is the river. Books are like that, especially, I mean, really good books are like that. Give yourself the opportunity to revisit books, but having your distilled notes is really helpful. And then it's really fun to see like, oh, I thought this was notable before. And now actually I, I resonate with this passage a little bit more. I like that with the one-two punch. And the second reading isn't nearly as daunting as it sounds. You're like, dude, you're going to read every single book twice. No, not at all. The second time you're basically paging through and shocking how quickly you can get through something along those lines. I hope, that, and again, it helps with retention. You know, I mean, there's all these studies done on uh, writing things down and, and uh, upon second review. There's a book, it's actually on my bookshelf, right up there. It's called Make It Stick. And uh, it's an interesting book about retention. Really, all it says is effectively, you need to test yourself at the end of anything that you read. And you test yourself with questions you come up with. It doesn't matter, which is really interesting. That book's a good example. Some pro tips on reading. You have to pick your material properly. Make It Stick is a good example. And I'm not trying to bash those people. They took what should have been a blog and they made it a book. It pisses me off because that seems to be a trending theme. People are taking small concepts and they're expanding it into full books. Now, sometimes that works really well. That worked with The Gap in the Gain, Dan Sullivan. It worked with Zero to One, Peter Thiel. It worked with The One Thing, Gary Keller. Those are actually three of my favorite recent books. And they're all very simple, but they're not written in simplistic fashion. They just help reinforce this idea. I'd, I'd strongly recommend all three of those books and I read them cover to cover. But then there's books like Make It Stick or Mel Robbins' Five Second Rule where I'm like, man, I could have gotten the value from like the Cliff Notes version of this book. And the way to protect yourself from that is what I do for all nonfictions is I'll skim first. In my opinion, it's on the author to capture my attention. I didn't used to feel this way. I used to feel like, oh, I have to read everything cover to cover. Otherwise, I'm not a real reader. But then what happened is I became fatigued of reading, which you don't want to do. It's so dangerous. You have to love the art of reading. So now I'm skimming. And if, if something captures my attention, then I'll dive a little deeper. And if it maintains or retains my attention, then I'll stay deep. 
and maybe even go a little deeper and so on and so forth. But then there are books that actually diminish in value as you go. One of those, interestingly, was driven by, I think it's Douglas Brackman. And I say it's interesting because I have a mastermind called The Driven Mastermind. The name of the mastermind is based on this book. Here's what's funny. All of the value in the book, the first three chapters. And then after that, it's just kind of like this repetitive sort of reinforcement of his original thesis that I didn't need. And so first three chapters were great. And then after that, I started to, I, I went super deep and then he lost me and then I zoomed out, got shallow and then just paged through and, and took, took a hike. And you can do that too. Uh, it's okay to skim, skip, jump around, choose your own adventure. Now it's heavily dependent upon the type of book, right? So like that's obviously far it's or maybe only applicable for nonfiction. And then some books are sequential in nature. I'm reading Brandon Turner's Multifamily Millionaire right now, and it's a two-volume book. And there are foundational components where you actually need to read section one in order to understand next section two. And then there are some components where I can tell that I'm able to bounce around. And I'm like, you know what? I actually really understand this concept. I'm going to move on. And so you get more sophisticated as you get better at reading. But then there's books like, you know, I've got C.S. Lewis's entire set here. And I happen to know for a fact, I've never read the screw tape letters, but it's been recommended to me often. And that's probably going to be one that I have to read cover to cover. So you'll get kind of good at figuring out what it is that you want to read. Another really cool pro tip is go use summary apps. There's Blinkist is one. ChatGPT now summarizes books really well. And what I like to do is summarize a book before I read it, because it lets me know whether or not I want to dive into this book. And there's ways to hack that too, by the way. What is it? Chat prompting, prompt engineering which is not my favorite term. But instead of asking, for, you know, I'll just summarize the seven habits of highly effective people. What you can do is go in and say, give me a summary of the seven habits of highly effective people and give me the 10 key takeaways. And it gives you 10 key takeaways and then say, okay, give me 30 more key takeaways. And you keep asking for that until you notice that the takeaways get repetitious. And what that exercise does is show you how dense that book is. Because there are books that are insanely dense from a value perspective, principle, Principles by Ray Dalio, so dense. The Seven Habits, so dense. Naval Ravikant's The Almanac of Raval, or whatever it's called, like, not a long read, but unbelievably dense. And when I say dense, I just mean like the value per word is high. And so and you could tell from ChatGPT, like, okay, I need to go read Principles by Ray Dalio because it's not getting to the bottom of this well. But then the Five Second Rule by Mel Robbins, like, you could summarize that in a tweet. Sorry to go bash Mel. I just hated that book so much. I hated the fact that I'm like, I can't believe she's getting away with this. Anyway, that's one pro tip. Another pro tip that I'd have for you is don't sleep on fiction. I get more out of fiction than I do nonfiction, maybe by a multiple. And that's getting more true as I get older. Fiction requires more participation on your part. You know, nonfiction is like, here's the principle. You know, take it, run. Here's how to how, here's how to execute on it, and that's fine. You need that, and and I like to go from nonfiction to fiction. I always I try to have one fiction and one nonfiction. So right now I'm reading The Multifamily Millionaire, and then I'm also reading Tess of the Dubervilles, which was recommended to me by a, a Twitter friend. But I'm reading Tess, and I get a little fictioned out, which really just means like I mean that's a really emotionally capturing book, and I just need a moment that I can go switch over to The Multifamily Millionaire, and they're so diametrically opposed. I'm not getting confused. If I read two fiction books at the same time, I always convolute the stories. And then if I read nonfiction books, I tend to be in different zones. Like I've got The Origins and Histories of Consciousness by Eric Neumann, and I know that for me to read this and this at the same time, it requires just two different frames of mind. I don't want to shift in those gears. What's easy for me is to always have one fiction and one nonfiction that I can bounce back and forth between the two of. I have a dear friend who likes to have four or five books running all at the same time, and she can do that. She can keep it in her mind. I can't. I'm incapable of it. Whatever works for you, but again, please don't sleep on fiction. Some of the greatest pieces of art that have ever existed are stories. Stories the oldest human art form. It predates language. It's how we think. It's how we dream. It's the study of psychology is rooted in the study of story. 
It's how you articulate your life, both to yourself and to other people. Story is so important, and there's so many lessons in story. All religion relies on story, heavily. You could say all religion is story, in a way, and that's not meant to be an indictment. I'm not saying anything's any less true. As a matter of fact, it's probably more true. When you see, like, and I'm stealing this from a thought leader I love, whose name I won't say because he's polarizing, but you'd say, like, is Harry Potter true? No, of course not. But the principles and values articulated in Harry Potter are true on a meta level that maybe is more true than the things that you think of as true. Honesty, integrity, bravery, friendship, legacy. Like, there's truth there that is better articulated inside of fiction than it could ever be articulated outside of, in, in nonfiction, in the quote-unquote real world. So, please don't sleep on fiction. And if you don't know where to start, like, just follow your passions. I love Victorian literature. I don't know why. Honestly, it's popcorn movie-type books that I love. I love Charles Dickens, which I know is, like, supposed to be so pedestrian. But I don't care, because I just, I love how sarcastic he is, and he's so much fun and thoughtful, and his characters are amazing. But then I love swords and sandals stuff, too. I love Brandon Sanderson and Patrick Rothfuss. I love George R. R. Martin. I love the Game of Thrones series. I love sci-fi. I liked Orson Scott Card and Who's the Red Rising Guy. And could just go figure out what appeals to you. And don't try to dive in. That's the other mistake I made too, is I try to eat like all of the densest meals first. You know, you don't go you can't go straight to Dostoevsky. You won't understand it. I didn't. I still can't tolerate Tolstoy as much as I know he's supposed to be brilliant. But then over time, like, you kind of develop, it's like wine. I used to hate wine, but then you kind of develop a taste for it, and then you, then you, and then your palate improves, and, and then you find what you like, and it doesn't have to be what other people like. I'd love to know what you read. I'd love to know what book recommendations you have. I have a really good habit. Anytime anybody recommends a book to me, I just buy it, you know, if it's somebody that I respect. And so if you have book recommendations, fiction, nonfiction, I'd love to know what you think I should be reading and why. What books made the biggest impact on you and why? What was the needle mover for you? And my experience recently, and I think I was indoctrinated into this thinking by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. Nassim wrote a book called Anti-Fragile. And I don't know if he said it in this book or if he said it elsewhere, but Anti-Fragile is one of the most important books I've ever been exposed to. One of the most important thoughts I've ever been exposed to. And he's an obnoxious person to read, by the way. He's so arrogant. But he talks about how the longer a book has been around, the more likely it is a value. It's either an axiom or it's an oversimplification depending on where you sit philosophically in terms of your view of the history. But regardless, I've just found it to be true. And go read The Republic, right? Go read Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. There's so much value there. And the fact, I mean, Marcus Aurelius is one of the smartest, most powerful people who's ever lived. And you can just read his words. What a blessing. Anyway, it's got a little preachy. Let me know what you read. Like, comment, subscribe. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Google Ads Podcast. For more ways to grow your business with Google Ads, you can subscribe to the Solutions 8 YouTube channel. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend. And if you'd like to work with the best Google Ads agency in the world, you can visit Solutions 8 at sol8.com. Custom here. If you're running Google Ads, even if your campaigns are successful, my years of experience have taught me that there are almost always enormous improvement opportunities. Now, what if the best Google Ads agency in the world was willing to review your Google Ads campaigns for free and provide you with a comprehensive action plan, no cost or obligation? Notice, I didn't say audit or evaluation. I said action plan, a bullet point by bullet point breakdown of exactly what needs to be done to improve your Google Ads campaigns. Yours to keep, no cost or obligation. Head over to solate.com to get a free Google Ads action plan customized for your business. No strings attached. That's S-O-L-8.com. S-O-L, the number 8.com.